This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Oh, delighted, yeah. I, I'd, I'd say maybe, so you get the first goal. I think we were on the front foot for 10, 15 minutes, really, really at it. And then the last half an hour of the first half, I felt we played too much on the result. Too much like, we're winning here, we, we, can, we can just defend. Uh, we were confident in our defending, to be fair, uh, and we, we knew what we were doing. And uh, but still, I'd like a little bit more uh, on the ball to um, for my heart, because uh, sometimes you know when you defend uh, for long periods against good teams, they'll, they'll inevitably uh, will create chances. Yeah, they're so far ahead that you can't really think about anything but uh, just making sure that we win our games and. Uh, be better than last year. We were third, so we, we want to move up the table, of course. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. A delighted Ole Gunnar Solskjaer speaking. After Manchester United ended Man City's run of 21 consecutive wins at the weekend. Welcome to a glorious Monday evening show. Has it been glorious for all? Uh, rhetorical question. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I know some of you are, yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool later. Um, do tweet at BFM Radio. Uh, do follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Craig Wilkie is here joining me this Monday evening. Hello, Craig. Hello, Ross. Always a glorious Monday to talk football with you, gents, irrespective of the results. He's a true pro, that Craig is. <laughs> Unlike the other Craig. Don't tell me. <laughs> Uh, Arvin Sidhu is also here because Leeds are in action tonight. Hello, Arvin. Of course, you've got a preview Leeds later today, but I'm sure Man United fans are doubly happy beating City and Liverpool losing. So let's go. <laughs> so let's go. Let's talk about Man United. Uh, went away at Man City. Everybody, including all Man United fans, I think predicted a, a, an away defeat. But they won 2-0 away from home. Uh, it helped by an early penalty, no doubt. Uh, but given away by Gabriel Jesus, Craig Wilkie, unnecessary, but certainly helps uh, with the United game plan, doesn't it? It did help a lot. And I don't know, this season has been so bizarre in so many ways that trying to make predictions is such a difficult thing to do. Funnily enough, I was speaking about this game with my brother beforehand, who's a Manchester United fan. And we both said, you know, just the way things are going, it wouldn't surprise us at all if Manchester United were able to, to pull off a win there. What I think did surprise me more, though, and I'm sure would have surprised a lot of Manchester United fans, was how comfortable it was in the end. This really was a, was a very good, very disciplined Manchester United performance away from home. Now, as you say, helped, of course, by the, the penalty concession very, on, very early on. I have no idea what Jesus is doing in that position. First of all, I don't know why your centre forward is there on the edge of his own box, 30 seconds into the game. And I don't know why, given that there was four other players around Martial, that he feels the need to, to barge into him and, and put him under that kind of pressure. But that's what happens sometimes when you've got centre-forwards defending in your own box. And of course, Bruno, well, we expect him to score, but hey, Anderson got a little bit close to it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> when, when it came to penalty. But it did just give Manchester United that confidence to go ahead so early on. And then I think they could play their game plan. We've talked about this before. You know, Manchester United's record against the big six, against bigger sides... And defensively, it's been fantastic. You know, they, they haven't conceded a lot of goals, but the question has always been, can they go and impose themselves? Can they go and make their game plan work and try and threaten a little bit more? And I thought they did. I yeah. thought they created a few decent chances, scored a very good goal through yeah. Luke Shaw. And yeah. I think he, he merits a mention in terms of 
how consistently he's performed over the course of most of this season. He's really got back to something like his best and is, is offering a real attacking outlet down the left for Manchester United. A very, very composed finish for his goal. And as soon as Manchester United went 2-0 up, for all that City huffed and puffed a little bit to try and get back into the game, I didn't feel like United's lead was under any serious threat. So Solskjaer will be very happy about that. Yeah. Um, but, but Arvin, it was uncharacteristic Man City because they were poor all across. I mean, I'm looking at Kevin De Bruyne and there's a stat here. Apparently, Kevin De Bruyne made three passes in the opening 20 minutes of that match. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I've got another stat as well. For, for, this, for this year, without KDB, Man City's got a win rate of about 90%. And with KDB, their win rate has gone down to about 69-70%. So it's, it's quite interesting for all that we wax lyrical about KDB. He hasn't been often on, more on the winning side compared to a non-win rate. But yeah, um, what was interesting for me for this game was when I, when I looked at the lineups that came up, City arguably put up their, their strongest lineup that they yeah. have, right? Yeah. Uh, KDB came back in, Sterling was on, on the left. Uh, and the, the guys, the, the supporting cast, as you will, the likes of Ferran Torres, the likes of Phil Foden, those guys took a seat on the bench. So the guys that have helped Pep and City for most of this record that they've had was on, will find themselves on the bench. Uh, I thought KDB looked rusty. He, he broke down more City ex- attacks than creating them. Sterling as well, once again, he, he, it's not the first time he struggled against Juan Bissaka. Nothing went right for him on the night. And for me, City's best player was, uh, was John Stones. Uh, I thought he kept his cool. He stride forward quite yeah. confidently. Um, so yeah, in, in, in an overall sense, City, this run for me was always going to come to an end. I, I, did, I didn't think that they would continuously win and stay undefeated towards the end of the season because once they win the title, which they will, um, they probably would have taken their foot off the gas to focus on other, other competitions that they're in. So just something for Pep to think about. He's already come out and said that it's going to be key to how his players bounce back from this defeat after the run, which I'm sure he'll be looking to do. But uh, credit to Ole. He seems to be Pep Guardiola's kryptonite when it comes to these Manchester Dardens. Yeah, if only we can play them every week. Um, um, but yeah, um, okay. Uh, win for United. We'll, we'll talk more about U- United later on. Uh, for Guardiola, well, they're 10 games ago. They're still 11 points ahead, City. Only a foolish man would, would, would bet against Man City for the, for the title win. More about those two teams later. Leicester City temporarily went up to second spot on Saturday because they went away at Brighton and won 2-1. Amati scoring a late winner for Leicester City. They, they're looking very focused now. Brendan Rodgers and Leicester... Craig Wilkie, after losing out on top four last season, hard to see them not getting one of the top four spots, right? Oh, that's exactly the point, though, isn't it? We, I'm sure we were saying exactly the same thing this time last year. And True. that, as we've, as we've discussed before, will very much be in the back of, of those players' minds, and I'm sure Brendan Rodgers as well. And so from that point of view, this was a very, very big win against the Brighton side who, yes, have been struggling in terms of results, but not so much in terms of performances. And actually, it was a very even game that, that I saw. And Brighton dominated for long spells, created quite a few chances. But Leicester rode their luck a little bit, came back into it. It was the, the first goal, the NHL goal, what an assist it was from Telemans. Yeah. The way he's weighted that pass was... No look pass, yeah? Yeah, it was. It was one of those. And it was absolutely magnificent. Then, of course, they got a little bit of luck with the winner because the goalkeepers come for a corner and... 
when you don't get anywhere near it, then that's where the, the, finger, the finger of blame is going to, going to be pointed. But, but credit to Leicester because they didn't panic even when they knew that they were up against it maybe a little bit in this game. And it's that type of win, that type of three points that's going to be crucial if they're going to achieve that top four dream. And right now, they're, they're looking good for it. And they're, they've come through a spell where they've had a lot of big names injured. You know, Vardy's still out. Yeah, yeah. Madison, Barnes, all those players who have been absolutely crucial to the success that they've achieved, not only this season, but in recent seasons. So it's, it's a really good job that Rodgers is doing there to just keep the whole show on the road and picking up the points as they are. And yeah, massive, massive result in terms of their top four ambitions. Um, yeah, and, and the good thing is Ineacho is picking up the, the slack, uh, scoring slack because Vardy's on a bit of a drought. I think one in his last 11. But Brighton, interesting that Craig mentioned... Uh, Robert Sanchez uh, messing up there. They sold a, a really good Australian goalkeeper, Arvin Sidhu, at that time, right? Because I, I had Matt Ryan in my fantasy football team. He was doing fine. You know, he'd play every other week and, and, and you know, and, and then suddenly he was just gone. Ostracized. And Sanchez, out of nowhere, has taken over the number one spot. Uh, and then you see how Brighton are struggling as well. Because we talked up Potter, didn't we, at the start? And we, we say they're playing expansive football, but if they go down, it's all for nothing, Arvid. It's nothing. Um, they need to know how to win ugly. And there's no evidence that this Brighton team has been able to show that the entire yeah. season. They've got one win at home in 18 home games. That's just incredible. If, if, if anyone was a betting man, which we don't advocate for, for this game, it was the team with the fewest home wins, which was Brighton, <laughs> against the team with the most away wins, which was Leicester. So there was only going to be one one result out of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, for all that Graham Potter's, the nice football that they play, it, it 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 doesn't bode well if you don't, if the results are not there. If they go down, people will look back and say, Chris Hutton never got us down, but we moved on from Chris Hutton to Graham Potter. Was that needed, right? And and I, I, I do go a lot on Brighton forums because I do like to follow Ben White because of his previous time with Leeds. And a lot of the fans are still wondering how can you leave the likes of Percy Tau on the bench? Neil yeah. Mopé is never yeah. going to get you that so many goals that you need. So for me, Brighton summarized them as a season. Very, very one, probably the most unluckiest team in the, in the league, but they don't help themselves either because play all that beautiful football, but with, there's no results at the end of it. It's kind of pointless, really. Yeah, and the worrying stat for Brighton this season is they've dropped 17 points from winning positions this season. Only Southampton have dropped more, 18 um, all right, Brighton continue to struggle. Leicester looking good for top four. Burnley won. Arsenal won. Was a was a spanner in the works of the Gunners, I guess. This game had VAR all over it. Uh, right and wrong VAR as well, Craig Wilkie. Um, but at the end of the day, classic schoolboy error between the Arsenal goalkeeper, Burnt Leno, and the midfielder, Granit Xhaka, gifting a goal. <laughs> To Chris Wood, uh, I mean, you couldn't have even dreamed of that one. Yeah, a little bit of everything this game for a for a one all. Uh, let's start with that error. So the goalkeeper bears a pretty heavy responsibility in my book Massive. because he's there's there's no way that he should be playing the ball into Jacques in that position who who's got a man right behind him. So he's playing him straight under pressure as soon as he receives the ball. Now, granted, even even in that situation there's still opportunities to, <laughs> to clear your lines. Just, just put the ball out, out of play. That's all you have to do. Even if you can see the corner, 
it's all right. You can regroup defensively and, and things I, are going to be okay. Whether, I wonder whether professional footballers think it's, it's uncool and not trendy. Yeah, I, I think there is, there, there is an aspect of that. You know, they've, they've got it in their heads and it's, it's been drilled into them on the training ground that there's a certain way that we have to play in these situations, a certain thing that I have to do. But even then, the, the, the really strange part of it is that the attacker was right in his line of vision. You know, it wasn't as if he suddenly made a, made a run from, from behind him. You know, he, he was there all the time because he'd already yeah. been in advance of the ball from the first play. So it, it was just a very bizarre situation. Um, and then we had a few other bizarre situations, as you mentioned, because of, <laughs> because of VR. And, and I agree with you. I think VR got one right in terms of the, the, the red the, card the red and the, the handball that, yeah. that was overturned because it, it, it definitely wasn't a handball, um, at least in my interpretation of, of that rule. It did seem to be kind of the shoulder or even the, the upper part of his chest that he, he made contact with the ball. But then, of course, later on, we get, we get one of those incidents. And I, I think it's this type of incident which has really symbolized VAR this season of, you know, defender in the box, the ball hits their hand from very, at very close range. And the rule now, whether you agree with it or not, as far as I, I believe, is that that's a penalty. Yeah. Because, because you've stopped the ball with your hand inside the penalty box, it, it should be. And why we have VAR if it's not going to look at an incident like that and come to that decision is is beyond me. And it's the, exactly that purpose where a referee should be going over to the monitor, having a look, because obviously it's hard for them to see in real time when they've got so little space between the attacker and the defender. Go and have a look on the monitor, take a call on it. But, you know, VR is just <laughs> continuing its own inconsistent form throughout the season. But if you look at it, Arsenal still, without being at their best, they did more than enough to win this game. And so we talk, we talk about the the Arteta or the Arsenal project and where they are in that process, this is exactly the type of game that they need to be turning into three points. Without being at their best, difficult place to go Burnley, I accept all of that, but they created enough chances, they were dominant enough in the game that they should have gone home with a win. Yeah, probably feel sorry for themselves. They, they were dominant. They, they had shots off the bar, off the post, uh, off the line, um, Arvin, but... Uh... What else is missing from this Arsenal team to make them consistent top four, do you reckon? Well, I mean, credit to Arteta that he's got rid of a lot of dead wood per se in the Arsenal squad. which Probably still more, right? Probably still more. So he's got rid of some of them. He's brought some enterprising buys, the likes of Martin Odegaard and Danny Ceballos. Kieran Tierney, I think on his day, can be a top, top three left back in the Premier League. Thomas Partey really looked a cut above all the other Arsenal midfielders. He's so commanding and he's so composed. Thomas Partey is someone... Bert Leno should have passed the ball to Thomas Partey instead of Granit Xhaka because <laughs> Thomas Partey would have known what to do with the ball yes. and would have released, released the, the, the tension that they are. So to answer your question... Granit agrees with you, you know. Exactly. Granit probably <laughs> agrees. So, but, 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 um, but for Arsenal and Ateta, they really believe in him steering this ship. And there's been some talk, by the way, of of Barcelona looking at him because Juan Laporta has now won the presidency at Barcelona. If they believe in him, it's backing him a little bit more in the market to get a few more leaders in that in that dressing yeah. room. Some, yeah, someone at the back. Gabriel's a decent defender. Get someone else to command him. Thomas Partey will take care of it. Get a couple more real leaders. Some mentality monsters. Those That's the saying that a lot of people say nowadays. Some mentality monsters. Get some of those in, in play. And hopefully they get over this this type of games where Burnley, they've just struggled year on year and they, they, they need to get across this game if they want to move themselves to the next level. 
All right. Well, next up for the Gunners, it's Olympiakos in the UEFA Europa League. We'll, we'll preview that one briefly for you later on. First break, then stick with us. We'll be back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back with Craig Wilkie and Arvin Sidhu looking at the weekend's football. I don't think Craig will like this particular segment. Um, Liverpool nil, Fulham won, Craig Wilkie. The pool slumped to this, a sixth conses- consecutive home defeat. Um, it's never happened before. Um, it was weird. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I can imagine betting men, betting men around the world will be looking at this guy. Five in a row. Five. It's quite generous this price, but no, surely it won't be six. It was six in a row. It was an it was an early goal. I mean, disappointing performance for you overall. Yeah, very very disappointing performance. You look at this game and you've got to say Fulham were the better side. They were the better side in the first half. And by and large, they were the better side in the second half as well. And the problem at Liverpool now is that you look at those performance levels and how poor it was last night, and it's, it's, it's like Groundhog Day. We've watched that performance now for almost two months. You go back to those games where lost to Anfield against Brighton, lost to Anfield against Burnley, 1-0, all similar types of performances where... There's just something lacking in terms of energy. There's something lacking in terms of creativity. And I thought Graham Sooners made a really interesting point in his analysis after the game where he was talking about what it means to be a champion, right? In the old days at Liverpool, whereby you won the league and you got to celebrate it for 24 hours and then it was done or any trophy. And then on and the, the whole, business. you know, yeah. Arvin made the point about mentality monster. Back then, the mentality was we go again. And it's all about preparing yourself, getting yourself ready for that next challenge and making sure we can sustain it. And his point was when you're on the beach pre-season, well, maybe they weren't this, this time because of COVID and everything else, but when you're getting ready for that new season, it's all about what sort of a standard am I going to set? Am I going to be able to even raise my, my level from where I was? And it just doesn't look like that's happened. You know, have those players just got a bit too complacent? Have they been a little bit too self-congratulatory of what they've already achieved? And Actually, I think there's a, whether it needs to happen or not, I can foresee this team getting broken up a little bit in the summer. Yeah. I, think there will, I think there will be a few players who either Klopp will decide to move on or of their own accord will go elsewhere. Wijnaldum's been linked a lot with a move away potentially to Barcelona. Salah, every so often it comes up whether he might fancy a move elsewhere. He doesn't elsewhere. look happy at the moment, Salah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And I, and I feel as there is something there in terms of just that, because the way that Liverpool play, the best of Liverpool under Klopp has been about that, that unity, that togetherness, the way they press as one, the way there's so much energy throughout that side. Now, of course, there's been the injuries and everything else, but you look at those players individually and collectively, whether they've been performing anywhere near their best, and you can't say that that's been, been true for almost yeah. the, the whole of 2021 and maybe even a little bit longer. So there's, there's a lot of questions that, that need to be answered. And as things stand... I see it as very, very difficult for Liverpool to finish in the top four for this season. Everton have scored one goal more than Liverpool at Anfield in 2021. Uh, it used to be their, their home ground, I guess. So there you go. 
Now, let's not do Fulham any injustice here. Uh, Arvin Sidhu, Josh Marger, Adamola Lukman, Mario Lamina work their socks off for Scott Parker's side. They, they're now, there's now tangible, they, they can actually see safety, if you like. They, they level on points with, with, you know what I mean, with the 17th place team now. If they keep it going, if, and it's, it's going to be big if they pull this one off, right? Yeah, but credit to Scott Parker. He took his team to Anfield believing they could win. Could you say the same thing of the likes of a Steve Bruce at Newcastle, that they believed they could win? Could you say the same thing of a big Sam Allardyce at, at West Brom, the belief that they could win? Chris Wilder's probably given up on believing anything at this point. But, <laughs> but Scott Parker took his team to Anfield believing they could win. And I, and I followed Fulham closely this season. If they started off, uh, they started the season off with uh, Michael Hector and Tim Ream at the back, at centre-back pairing. Now they've got Joachim Anderson and Tosin Adarayabayo. And this those two good. gentlemen yeah. are good. They, they've yeah. consolidated. They've lost two games out of their last 10. And when you only lose those two games and you only concede six goals, that shows that you've shut up shop at the back and you're being able to kind of go ahead and express yourselves. And this is such an important three points for them because it puts a lot of pressure on the, those above them. And, and, and if they stay up, I, I massive credit to Scott Parker because this is, in a way, the character that he was as a player, always up for a challenge, feisty, let's, let's give it a real good go. So credit, credit to Scott Parker. He's made changes. The, pretty much the entire back four is all different now, by the way. He doesn't believe that I need to play one route football to Mitrovic that will help you in the championship but might not help you in the Premier League. So he's adapted. So, yeah, uh, good stuff for Fulham. And uh, they've given themselves more than a chance right now. Yeah, um, I think there can't be many teams in a season that go to Anville, win, go to Merseyside, uh, and win at uh, Goodison Park as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and then they get relegated. That would be some really bad mojo. Uh, exactly. Still a lot of work to do for Scott Parker and Fulham. I believe they have Man City up next before they have Wolves, Burnley on the final day, which is probably going to determine uh, th those games. Wolves and Burnley are going to be massive. Uh, more about Fulham, I'm sure, as the se season progresses. It's rapidly coming to a close, amazingly. Um, all right, let's talk about Spurs and how good they've been. Now that Gareth has put his uh, driver, his 9-iron away, he's just concentrating on just the one club then, Craig Wilkie. <laughs> See what I did there. <laughs> I saw exactly what you did there. Beautiful. <laughs> But do you see what Gareth Bale did? Uh, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good every week, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel as though I've been a little bit of a champion of Bale's cause on this show over, over recent weeks and months. And I always felt that given a run in the team, he would come good. And he seems to be showing that right now. And his second goal for me just encapsulated what's... I mean, I'm sure it would have made Spurs fans and Mourinho so happy because he actually he's involved in the move early on. He's the one who switches play yeah. out to the left. And then the, the great thing about it is he doesn't just stand there admiring his pass. Straight away, he wants to get into the box. You know, so he's following up. And then when the cross comes in and Kane does a good job of nodding it back across the goal, it's actually still not an easy chance. There's a lot to do to make sure you get there first and you hold off the defender. And it's a really, really good header. And it just summed up to me the that re-energized version of Gareth Bale, the, the desire, the hunger, the, 
the wanting to play football and seemingly looking very happy in, in how he was playing. And, and he was involved in everything that Spurs did well. You know, you can start to see already that that link up with, with Kane, who I've got to say as well that, that Kane was exceptional. He was, I mean, uh, he? Yeah. The, the, the goal that he scored from outside the box. And it's interesting to me, you know, Harry Kane, that he's always been a really good player and for a long time was seen as quite a traditional sort of a centre forward. You know, he'd stand with his back to against the centre half and hold the ball up and, and try and get goals. And the dimensions that he's added to his game this season, in terms of playing in a slightly more of a playmaker role sometimes as well, bringing others into the game, his vision, he's, he's really gone up a level. And when Spurs, when things click with Spurs, that's the really amazing thing. Yeah. You know, they, they look so exciting and they, they play such good football. And it was just far too much for Crystal Palace to handle. I didn't actually feel played that badly. They, they made a half-decent game of it. But Spurs with that attacking trio and even more up from behind just looked threatening every time they went forward. Well, when Benteke equalised going into halftime, you thought, hang on, hang on a sec. But um, Arvin Sidhu, um, Hodgson has never beaten Mourinho. Three draws, three losses. Um, some even asked, what is Hodgson still doing? Managing a club, but that's a different that one for a different day. <laughs> um, they're safe, Palace. It was just uh, you expected Spurs to win this one, but maybe not a tonking. Yeah, not a tonking. Um, there's this this forums of Crystal Palace fans saying ten more games, ten more games for for Royal Hots, and then we can move on. Will the club move on from them? He's a steady hand. He's not a spectacular hand, but he's a steady hand that will just kind of guarantee you per se staying in the division if that's what the ambitions of the club are. Having Zaha back was important for them because yeah. we know the record that they have when Zaha's in the squad and when Zaha's without the squad. Uh, but it doesn't help that the first goal that they, 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 they conceded was when they were trying to play out from the back again. When you've got the likes of Son and Kane and, and Bale right in front of you, pressing you, trying to get at any sniff of an opportunity that you're giving them. And we saw what, what Spurs did last week as well. Why would you do that when it's the first goal that you concede? So yeah, Benteke I thought was good. It was a good equaliser, nice header from him. Uh, he could have helped with a bit more service to him. Jordan Ayu, Andros Townsend, all those guys, they, they don't create enough for someone like Benteke to finish. So yeah, um, that, 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 that's what Crystal Palace are about. They, they'll survive. Uh, but what's next for next season? And another very interesting bit as well, We I, I like how Moreno always comes out and fights against the press. We all call him defensive. We all say he's, he's conservative. There's only two teams that have scored 100 goals this season across all competitions. One is Bayern Munich. The other is Tottenham Hotspur. So mm. maybe not so conservative after all. No, and, and that they've, they've hit four in the league two, two weeks running. So yeah, exactly. That helps, that helps. Yeah. Right. Well, next up for Spurs is Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League. We're off for another break. When we come back, Nicholas Anil will be joining Craig Wilkie and Arvin Sidhu. You stay tuned right after this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us, Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnil and Arvin Sidhu joining me this Monday evening to look back at the weekend's football. As usual, you can tweet at BFM Radio. You can find us all individually on Twitter. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you like to keep up to speed with 
Spanish, Italian, and German football, then check out TFIF on video, our video channel on YouTube. Right, let's clear up some of the other scores then. A uh, couple of nil-nils over the weekend. West Brom nil, Newcastle nil. Um, actually, that was massive for West Brom. They really, really needed to win that Nicholas Arnold, didn't they? Um, I guess that point will, will do Newcastle a, a, lot, a lot more because it keeps that gap between them and, and, and the bottom half. But West Brom, too late, too little, too late, gone. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Sam Allardyce's uh, approach uh, to matches is, uh, has been the same, you know, since his Bolton days. Uh, and it's, and it, will be, it will be very predictable uh, for teams who are playing them and, and they will be figured out. And I, don't, I, think, I simply think they do not have enough quality, you know, up front, both up front and in defence uh, to really sustain the pace. Uh, as for Newcastle, you know, uh, important point, uh, uh, Steve Bruce seems to be sort of turning the tide. You know, he's helped greatly by the return of uh, St. Allen Maxima, who's been really instrumental in the last few games. Uh, so more good for, for Newcastle than West Brom. Yeah. Um, worrying for Newcastle as well, Arvin. You, you, we, we've been reading reports of uh, the, the training bust ground up, yeah. bust up with Matt Ritchie. Even the, yep. that press conference before the match, Steve Bruce kind of blew his top saying, I'm going to find out who leaked it. And, it's all not well. They're missing their, their best players. I mean, it, it can't get more difficult for young Steve, can it? <laughs> um, sometimes I, I really ask myself the question, how is Steve Bruce still in a job? I mean, I get that emotional connection to Newcastle and all that. I get it. But, and probably he's, a, he's a, an easy choice for Mike Ashley, a convenient choice, a choice that would not question Mike Ashley's authority. But um, he would have been glad not to lose after such a crazy week like you mentioned. Yeah. But to, to, to sum it up, how you look at Steve Bruce and what he's trying to achieve with this Newcastle squad is he brought Andy Carroll in for the final 20 seconds. <laughs> that kind of sums up the ambition of the man trying to run down the clock. He went in there saying, okay, I don't want to lose. Uh, granted, he's been, like you said, he's Almiron, uh, Callum Wilson and, and St. Adam Maximan are not there. I get it. But you have an opportunity to really put West Brown completely down and move yourself up but there was just no ambition and I've, if there's any fan base in the Premier League that I feel the most sorry for is the Newcastle fan yeah. base because they're a huge club and they don't deserve this they haven't deserved this for a very long time alright um, poor old Newcastle fans uh, let's move along uh, Aston Villa nil Wolves nil Villa's European hopes suffering a suck setback here Craig Wilkie um, they, they've had games in hand, but they need to win those if, if they're going to do anything. Um, disappointing for Midlands Derby, this one? It was a better nil-nil than the Newcastle-West Brom, I'll give yeah, it that. a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there, there, were, there were at least a few chances, but definitely an opportunity missed from a Villa perspective, in my view. Um, the funny thing about Villa, and they've had a very good season overall, and I think at points we've given them credit, and deservedly so, when I look at the balance of their side, it seems to me that they've got a lot more about them going forward than they do defensively, just when you look at it on paper. But actually, when you look at the results and the performances, actually, the defence has taken them a long way of where they are right now. They had another clean sheet. You know, Martinez, another great performance in the goal. That back four in front of him yeah. is playing really well. And actually, some of the issues I think the Villa are having now, they were slightly unfortunate. I mean, Watkins had a, a brilliant effort. They came back off the bar. But... When Grealish was really running things for them earlier in the season, that's where they looked like that really fluent side and playing good football. And, and, a, and a lot of that time was where you were able to turn those 
sorts of performances in the three points. You were able to create enough chances, score a few goals when Grealish was really at the heart of it. And of course, the likes of Barkley, Watkins and so on, supporting him. But as he's gone off the boil, maybe had a couple of injury problems, it just seems that something about the balance of that side has been disrupted. And that's where, where Villa seem to be suffering. Wolves, we know, have had their own issues this season. And I think they're just playing a bit more of a containment game now. They just want to be solid. They want to get through it and kind of reset for next season. That's kind of how I see Wolves. So maybe not a huge surprise that this one was a little bit of a stalemate. Um, but from a Villa perspective, yeah, they need to start picking up three points now if they're really going to make this season something special to, to remember. Sheffield United nil, Southampton 2, or Southampton winning for the first time in 10 Premier League matches. Um, sadly, they lost Danny Ings in that game, Nicholas Arnold, through injury. But I, I kind of like Ralph Hasenhuttle. I kind of like watching Southampton play. You know, they, 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 they seem... They, they, they're not boring. They, they're progressive. They try and play on the front foot. But, um, and it's nice to see him win for the first time in 10 matches because they've been going through a rough old season, Nicolas Arno, haven't they? Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, you, you look back at uh, last year, October, when they got uh, hammered by Leicester City and, you know, everyone uh, was, uh, you know, picking uh, uh, Hassan to be to be fired. And, you know, yet uh, he still is here you know, at this point of time. And, you know, another instrumental win um, over uh, Sheffield United, who, you know, in them, they, they, they could have, they could have uh, done something to, to, to try and um, uh, snatch a point, at least from this game. Uh, but uh, what impresses me a lot about this Southampton side is, you know, the fact that they are always looking to push forward. You mentioned they're progressive. You know, they have a never-give-up attitude. Um, and, I, and I look at, uh, at the likes of uh, Che Adams, Stuart Armstrong, who have been absolutely, uh, you know, uh, so focal for, for them this season. Che Adams uh, last season uh, was Leeds United's top pick, you know. Uh, they were trying to get him as much as possible, but Hassan Hutter, you know, stuck with uh, Che Adams and insisted that he was not for sale, despite Danny Ings doing so well. Mm. But you see, at this point, you know, when Danny Ings is out of commission, a player like Che Adams with a goal he scored, you know, he just showed what a quality player he is. And yeah, he will absolutely. be the main man uh, from now until the end of the season for Southampton. Yeah, yeah. They need Che Adams to step up now. And and I tell you what, uh, Minamino looks a perfect fit for Southampton. He looks like a Southampton type of winger player. You know what I mean? Um, all right, let's uh, wrap up the British Isles news with uh, uh, the fact that uh, the big news that Stevie G has won the title for Rangers of Scotland. More to come, says Stevie G. First time in 10 years, they, they, they have stopped Celtic, Arvin Sidhu, doing 10 in a row. I think this is the earliest the Scottish title has ever been, been settled as well. He's doing a good job there, isn't he? Very good job. And that's why there's been a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there's been starting to gain momentum where some Liverpool fans are saying, come home. When Klopp's time is up, you know where your next job is. Still a bit early for CVG, but he's done fantastically well. I mean, in terms of, of it was so important in Scotland, and, and, and Craig will be able to elaborate more, it was so important in Scotland to not allow a team to win, to allow Celtic to win that amount of titles in a row. He, even he was, Bayern doesn't the, dominate that much. Yeah, even Bayern, exactly. <laughs> and, and Rangers fans would be so indebted to Stevie G because he's been able to come in and stop it. And the manner that he's been able to do it, the fact that the, the records that they've been setting in yeah. Europe as well, that they've yeah. been delivering. So, so, so credit to them and credit to him. He, uh, I, I respect Stevie G because he, he had an opportunity where I'm pretty sure there were Premier League clubs that would 
probably think, why don't you give an opportunity for us to try? He said, no, I'm going to go and try my, my, my craft in Scotland, build my profile, and then when it's time ready, I'll come to a bigger league. And he's yeah. done it the right way. So yeah. <clears throat> there's a big job awaiting Stevie G, but I, I, I hope for his development and for Rangers, he sticks at that job for a couple more seasons and the good times will come. Yeah, uh, next step's got to be do something in Europe, which Scottish clubs have, have failed to do uh, for a long time. I think since Aberdeen days. Um, Craig Wilkie, how does a Dundee United fan uh, accept the fact that Rangers won the title instead of Celtic? Are you happier? Well, it was thanks to Dundee United since we drew with Celtic <laughs> at the weekend in order, in order to give them the championship. So uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Stevie G will be passing on his congratulations for that. But I can only echo what Arvin said. And I think a lot of people raised some eyebrows when he took the Rangers job, just given where Rangers were and where Rangers had been, you know, trying to make the way back up through the leagues. I'd only got back up to the Premier League, still at that point seemed miles away from Celtic. And if you look at the job that he's done, in relative terms, he hasn't spent a lot of money, you know, when you compare them against Celtic. And he's really got the best out of those players. And the way that they've won it, I mean, they're 20 points clear. They've only conceded nine goals in the league all I know. season. I know. And, and to your point about doing something in Europe, which is definitely something that Scottish football could use as a whole, um, they've been on a fantastic run. And, you know, they've, been, they've had some great, great results in Europe. And, and Gerard will be looking at it and saying, uh, Arvin's right about ultimately the move to a bigger league. We can all, I think we can all accept that, that that's kind of Scottish football standing. But when you talk about bigger clubs, there are not many bigger clubs in the world than Rangers and Celtic. That's just a fact in terms of their fan base, in terms of, I don't know if you even saw some of the scenes outside Ibrox, the game of the weekend, you know, and the, the level of expectation that comes being in that Glasgow Goldfish Bowl, as they call it, it's actually a fantastic grounding he's got now for going on to wherever he ends up in his career. Yeah. I think at some stage he will end up at Liverpool. And he's, he's proven himself and, you know, no surprise in terms of his will to win, his, how hard he works, his experience in the game see a really, really big future for Steven Gerrard as the manager. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, if, if he carries on this trajectory, I mean, let's face it, there is only one club where Stevie G can go next. We all know. <laughs> right, uh, back after this break to preview the midweek football. Stay tuned. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Anil, Arvin Sidhu here to look at what's happening over midweek. There's, you can never complain that there's too much football, but there's, there's a heck of a lot of football every day, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Two games tonight. Uh, then there's Champions League, there's, there's also Europa League, uh, two big games as well in, in the Premier League. Chelsea take on Everton first up. Um, Chelsea haven't conceded a goal at home in four games under Thomas Tuchel. Um, Everton seem to be better away from home, Nicolas Arnil. Um, and and they're, they're talking about, they're looking at top four as well aren't, with Carlo Ancelotti and the boys. I mean... It's all getting very tasty towards the business end of the season. How do you see this one falling? I don't know. For me, it, it's, it, there has to be a time where this Chelsea bubble bursts. Uh, but it doesn't look like happening anytime soon now, does it? Uh, Thomas Tuchel has just you know, fitted in like a glove ever since uh, taking over Chelsea. And not, not many managers can, can do that. You know, you're coming from a different league. You know, no doubt you are familiar with some of the players, you know, having been with them in Germany. 
but just adapting to a new league where the league where the pace is faster, the intensity is higher, you know, the 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 gameplay is more robust. Tuchel has done it, you know, seamlessly, and in, he's found a way to 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 make changes and get the best out of the of, of the players which have not been playing uh, before this. Uh, you know, you look at Marcus Alonso, you know. Um, and, and a couple of other players, even even the the players that had been with Lampard, you know, have have I, for me uh, played played better under under Tuchel. You know, you look at Mason Mount and the goal he scored against Liverpool last yeah. week. You know, uh, Chelsea have just so much of confidence at, at this point, and the up against an Everton side who are not too bad under Carlo Ancelotti as well. You know, uh, the the return of James Rodriguez, you know, has really uh, given them a lot of impetus in in, in midfield. And Richarlison is, is is back finding the goals, and so is Dominic Calvert Lewin. So I, I see this playing out at a very high pace, um, and I, and I see it playing out to a draw. I I don't think either team would be giving each other a much space. So you know, a draw would be a fair point for both. All right, Thiago Silva could return for Chelsea. They're keeping an eye on Tammy Abraham. He's got a minor injury. Uh, James Rodriguez is a doubt for Everton. He's got a calf problem. Seamus Coleman will also be assessed pre-kickoff. That one's a 2 a.m. game. West Ham versus Leeds United is 4 a.m. Um, we've got West Ham who are flying high uh, under David Moyes this season, Arvin Sidhu. How worried, as a Leeds United fan, are you going into this game? Worried because David Moyes is throughout his career his highest win percentage is against Leeds United, which whichever teams he's managed. Wow. So he loves playing. He loves playing. He, he loves playing Leeds United. Trust uh, you to take campaign. that one out, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, ex- but ex- but 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 excellent campaign, uh, West Ham United. Uh, I, we 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 spoke about this and a couple of weeks ago. But I honestly believe they are the team that is benefiting the most without fans in the stadium because we know how the high expectations of the of the Hammers fans are. They've had issues with their fans previously where some of them have been unhappy with the owners. Uh, they've got the second best home record in the league this season. That says, that says much. They beat Leeds away in December. So Leeds well, have to be at, the, at their highest level to, to, to be able to get something out of this game. The good thing about Leeds is they're playing away from the Ellen Road pitch. Uh, they maybe, are, maybe they can uh, play some football. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and very important for Leeds is that uh, Calvin Phillips has travelled to London. I saw some photos oh, good, last night. Good, good. Bielsa, Bielsa has kept away from that, but Phillips should he's he's travelled with the squad, which means he should he should be playing hopefully. But it's it's all or nothing with Leeds as usual. Very little draws, either wins or losses. This could swing either way. All right. Well, West Ham have got a problem between the sticks because Fabianski and Darren Randolph both have injuries. Uh, Fabianski hurt his arm. I think Randolph is is got a, a groin strain or something. So, yeah, um, that one is a four a.m. kickoff. Um, Champions League football. Liverpool. Well, Man City play Southampton on Thursday. We we all expect City to get back to winning ways. So we'll move on from that one. Uh, Liverpool hold a two 0 lead over Leipzig. Uh, the game's being played at the Puskas Arena in in Budapest. Um, it's supposed to be the home game. Now, it's not at Anfield. So, Liverpool, for Liverpool, it, they, they, won't, they won't have mentally the, oh, another home defeat thing looming. But come on. If, if you'd be really worried, Craig Wilkie, if you get knocked out holding a 2-0 lead going into the second leg. It would be. I, I think it's a very good thing that it's not Anfield, given our current We're, we're going to have a special right show, now. just you and I, if that happens. <laughs> Well, that's something I look forward to. Um, well, to me now, this is a very evenly poised tie. 
Liverpool, it's great that they've got that cushion going into the, the tie, 2-0 up. It was, it was actually a good performance. And that was the strange thing about Liverpool's recent run, that I really thought that that game and that performance away against Leipzig would, would kind of be a bit of a catalyst yeah. for them to, to improve their form. But it hasn't, it hasn't happened like that at all. They haven't been able to translate that into league form. And Leipzig will be looking at Liverpool's performance. They'll be looking at what happened in the Fulham game and saying, this is a vulnerable group of players. If we can get at them early, if we can get a goal up, you can see that they're playing with so little confidence. It doesn't matter how good you are. You know, Salah, Mane, these guys who have so much experience, they've won trophies, all of that stuff. When week in, week out, things are not going your way, you start to have some self-doubt. You start to just wonder when the, the form is going to come back, when you're next going to get a goal, all of that kind of stuff. So if Leipzig score first, if Leipzig score early, then we've really got a game on our hands. It's going to be a test for Liverpool a character test of whether they can come through a situation like that. I actually think that because the cushion is already there, Klopp will approach this quite defensively. We'll go out and try and keep things tight, maybe get to halftime, still nil-nil, just kind of play it out a little bit carefully from there. But that in itself could be quite a risky way of going about it if it comes to it. But who knows? I mean, I was going to say we don't know what to expect from Liverpool. Actually, we do know what to expect. Very average, <laughs> very average performances. So if, if they play like that against Leipzig, you could easily get turned over two or three nil and go out. So... It's a, it's a very, very big occasion. Yeah, Leipzig are challenging for the title in Germany. At the weekend, they made it eight wins out of nine. They strolled to a 3-0 win over Freiburg. Um, it should be interesting, is all I'm going to say for, for that one. It is a Thursday 4 a.m. kickoff at Liverpool against Leipzig. Uh, the Europa League's throwing up a, a, a fixture that's, that captures imaginations. Man United against AC Milan, Nicholas Arnold. you got pictures of Kaká, Ronaldo and, and David Beckham swinging in free kicks. And, um, but yeah, good, good times, good times. If only the fans were there, it would be a rip-roaring encounter. Yeah, indeed. Uh, two European heavyweights, you know, don't expect them to be uh, playing in the Europa League. You know, expect this to be a Champions League tie. You know, but nonetheless, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an end-to-end encounter uh, for me. Both teams have goals in them. You know, Milan are high flying in the uh, Serie A as well, not too far away from leaders Inter. In fact, they've not lost uh, since losing to Inter in that derby. You know, their team which scores a lot but also concedes a lot of goals as well. So, you know, I see this playing out to. To a uh, to bunch of goals. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of lineup uh, United will put out. You know, perhaps Alex Telles uh, might be given a chance. You know, to try and impress uh, in midfield. Cavani, if he's you know fit, you know he, he could come back. Um, but um, I, I hope to see goals in this game, and I think we would see goals uh, despite the absence of uh, Zlatan. Yeah, yeah, Zl- Zlatan. Of of course, he's what eighty nine years old now. <laughs> Friday, 1.55 a.m. That one kicks off Man United against AC Milan. Olympiacos versus Arsenal is a Friday, 4 a.m. Um, game. 12 months ago, Craig Wilkie, these two teams met. I think Obama Young was a hero and a villain, or, or if, if I remember kind of sketchily. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this is Arsenal would, would have taken this one, a draw to, uh, you know what I mean, a draw against Olympiacos. They'd fancy this, wouldn't they? Yeah, I see that's a, a relatively kind draw at this stage. And we're actually re- reaching that stage of the European competitions where if you're still in it now and if you've got a favourable draw like that, then it's fair enough to start looking ahead and saying, 
we are contenders here. You know, how, how far could we, we really go in this tournament? And again, I think when we talked earlier about the Arteta project and where are Arsenal, this is quite a good gauge. You know, if you compare versus 12 months ago when they, they faced a similar tie to this and just how credible are they at that level? You know, so number one, they should be coming through a tie like this. Arsenal, man for man, are a better side than Olympiacos. So they've got to go out and, and prove that. And then if they do, then they're really in the latter stages of that tournament. And then it's a question of, can you raise your game if you're taking on the likes of AC Milan, you know, Manchester United, whoever it might be in a, in, a, in a later stage like that. So I think for Arteta, this is still, to some extent, really figuring out his players at, at that level. You know, who's, who's really capable of stepping up to play at that point. And, and again, those things that we said about how he's trying to introduce his own style of play and all that kind of stuff. Can you do it in, in different tournaments? Can you do it in different situations? That's what he still wants to understand about his squad. I don't think he's quite there yet. So from that point of view, we maybe learn a bit more about this Arsenal team over the course of, of this tie. Yeah. Um, one manager for sure who will definitely be taking this one very seriously is Jose Mourinho. Tottenham are at home to Dinamo Zagreb. Jose really wants to win this one more than any other. This would shoot Spurs into the Champions League rec recognition uh, for qualification for next season, if they win it, of course. Right, that's it. That, in a nutshell, is what you can expect this midweek. I've got to say thanks to Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, guys. Have a good week ahead. Uh, thanks to Nicholas Arnil. Cheers, Ross. And thank you, Craig Wilkie. Thank you. Looking forward to the next Liverpool game, as always. <laughs> <laughs> he says that with a big smile on his face. Everybody, have yourselves a great week. I'll speak to you on Friday. Bye-bye. Off the Ball, every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.